You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network Classics Collection episode. This episode was originally released under our parent podcast, Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Hello, Nicholas. We're going to be friends. For a long, long time. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. Uh, This one is Forever Night Season 1, Episode 5, Dance by the Light of the Moon. We have a little bit of news. We actually got some suggestions on the suggestion form. I know. I'm excited, too. Rachel stoked. Yeah. One of them was for a TV show, which definitely I think we'll be checking out after we've finished Forever Night. And the other one was for a movie. Uh, everything. Thank you, Pippin. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yep. Yeah. And Matt and I have not seen that. I watched the first about 10 minutes of it. Yeah. So I thought maybe that would be a good, good option. Yeah, for something that neither of us have seen. Yeah. We don't have an opinion on it. So we're already scheduled through the end of December. So we're going to be doing Scrooge for our Christmas episode. And we're going to be doing Love Bites after that, because it's a funny vampire movie. And then I thought maybe we would schedule our first watch party. So we can, if you are a Patreon member... You can listen to us watch it live and maybe participate, since there's only two of you. (laughs) Uh, And if not, then we'll release uh, our riff track, our talk along to the movie, so you can watch the movie with us, live or not live. Uh, And I think that's a good one to start with, because we'll have a lot to say since we haven't seen it before. But in the meantime, I'm ready to talk about this episode of Forever Night. (laughs) All right. right. This was a juicy one. Yeah. So, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So we open in a seedy, dimly lit warehouse, and there's a seedy, dimly lit fellow walking in, carrying a package. Yep. And a woman. Yeah. We only see... The back of her. Yeah. Yeah. We we don't see her face until the end of this scene. She's wearing a provocative, I guess, uh, leather trench coat. Um. Again, we have a lot of khaki trench coats on display here. I don't know if they had like a sale on them in 1992. And so just everybody owns them because... They were popular at that time. Yeah, they must have been like the leisure coat. The leisure coat of Toronto in the early 90s because this guy's wearing one. And he walks in and they do a little kissy kissy. So uh, we get the idea immediately that 
this is like a femme fatale situation. Yeah, she's egged him on to do something. Yeah, because she's he's, like, oh. and he's real nervous about it. And yeah, she likes that. Yeah, she's glad he did something for her, stole her. You, you can just read between the lines. He stole this for her, and she's all jazzed about it. Um, but she pushes him away with a coy smile, just in time for him to get choked. Like, by her other lover. By the other surprise. guy. Surprise. By surprise second lover guy. Um, and as he falls down, she's like, oh, Tell so me hot. how it feels. It's so hot. She kisses the second guy. Um, and, and then, then literally stabs him. And in then the back. stabs him. It's like the opening from Clue, where it's like it's just people dying. <laughs> yeah, just people dying. Then like a fifth person shows up, and that person. It's just yeah. It's like bang bang. We get double murder right off the right off the jump here. And even though she only killed one of them, she is more or less responsible for both of them. Uh, so then we cut to the precinct, and they're discussing the double murder already. I don't that was know. fast. It was really fast. Um, and one of them was a cop. That's which is why, why it yeah. was so fast. Yeah, Burkhart. Um, and the other one is a corporate accountant. Um, and Skanky is making a big deal about the fact that Burkhart is one of Stone Tree's, like, golden boys. Right. So this episode ends up generating a lot of tension between Nick and... Like everyone else at the station. Yeah, I think you just say it ends up generating tension. Full stop. Yeah. So, but Skanky is the one whose whose tension is on full display right now because he's kind of ribbing Nick. He's ribbing anyone who's in listening distance about the fact that this guy Burkhart was the one who strangled the corporate accountant. Right. And it's clear he was the one who strangled him, which means he's a murderer. But he was one of Stone Tree's like bffs one of his like right he was one of the like bfds best yeah cops in the precinct right uh but he's a murderer but as they mentioned there was lipstick found on both victims that matches that matches so uh stone they were both involved with the same woman yeah skanky gets to be um full early 90s sexist asshole (laughs) Right. In He's, this episode. He takes the position of the moral high ground for the entire episode. Yeah, which his moral high ground does not include women. Right. I mean, he's he's pretty sexist. Especially I mean, not sex workers. Yeah, especially not sex workers. So he's kind of being a dick. And uh, Stone Tree's like, shut up, Skanky. <laughs> Just tells him to shut up. Wow. David. So uh, Golden Boy had a lover, huh? Yeah. Wonder if this will knock him out of Stone Tree's good books. <laughs> Shut up, Skanky. I think this episode shows, like at this point in the relationship, how much Skanky implicitly trusts Nick. Yeah. It's not much. <laughs> I mean, he does. He does by the end of it. We get by a lot the of end trust. of it. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure Nick and Skanky had a conversation before they went in there. Yeah. So that Skanky would know. Like, hey, I'm going to do something, and and I'm going to try to kill you, right? (laughs) And you have to play dead. Yeah. Because this is how we get... Right. This is how we get her. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But we don't know that for a while. And I do like that they bury that. I mean, we're left more or less in doubt as to whether or not Nick is actually acting out. Yes. 
or whether he, this is all part it's of the typical plan. heist mechanic where yeah. you're only seeing like bits and pieces of what Nick is actually doing. But then there's other stuff that he's doing. He has other motivations yeah. that you don't find out until the final wrap up. The final reveal. Yeah. Yeah. So after they talk about the lipstick on both victims and we kind of have a discussion about how, you know, what women will make you do anything or whatever. Um, we get our first flashback clip for the episode. And this is yes. notable because it's one of the few times we see Nick as immortal. We are not going to see Nick pre-vampire-ness <laughs> until like late season two. So this is our one of our few glimpses of what Nick was like as a mortal, which is, it turns out, had a mullet. I warned you the mullet was coming, and here it is, guys. Here's the mullet. So he's like sitting at the head of this table, um, drinking with his uh, crusade night buddies. Right, because he was in the crusades. Yeah, and a beautiful woman walks in, and it's Jeanette. And so she just kind of gives him a come-hither stare, and he's like... Guys, I gotta go thither. And he just gets up and goes after her. Um, it takes very little prompting. How badly do you want me? What makes a good man evil? The eternal question. Yeah. I do think it's notable that we get this flashback before we meet the main antagonist for this episode. So you get the sense that Nick is identifying himself with the men, not that he is identifying Jeanette with Anne, which Anne is right. our main antagonist. Right. So he is We're not... We're setting up that he's already familiar with what it's like to be the guy on the receiving end. And also that he doesn't blame Jeanette. He doesn't see Jeanette as the villain in this situation. Right. He blames himself for falling for it. Uh, which I think is really notable because Nick does kind of, in, in as much as the 90s were aware of it, he does stand up to Skanky's sexism several times in this episode. So I think it's important to note that he doesn't see the woman, Jeanette, as the villain in this flashback. Um, he just sees, he just remembers what it's like to be tempted and to give in to that temptation. And he sees that as a moral failing on. His part. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we go to the morgue and it's Natalie. Nick's pretty flirty this episode. This is the most like happy flirty we've seen him. Because um, he's smiling at Natalie. They're kind of having a little bit of rapport. She right. gets him to uh, sniff her perfume. Skanky commits a like minor sexual harassment <laughs> yeah. by calling... Patrice. A lady, yeah, hun, hun. on the yeah. phone, yeah, um, and he's implying that it, he's just being familiar. He's not trying to like have a relationship with her or whatever, yeah. Um, and so then Nick says to Natalie, "All right, bye, hun, bye, hun." But it's like and a he, funny, like kisses her on the head. Yeah, it's a funny like ribbit skanky. Bye, What's up? Jeez, you can't call anybody honey nowadays. Strip club downtown, Jilly's. Okay, let's go. Bye, hon. Which Nick and Natalie, unbeknownst to Skanky, have a deeper relationship yeah. than Skanky knows about. Yes. So for Nick to do that to Natalie, 
is less awkward yeah than skanky talking to patricia they have the type of the relationship where they might call each other hun like we constantly call each other hun and honey which is just a uh which rachel's been listening to all of the podcasts to do the editing (laughs) and she noted that we call each other honey a lot yeah well that's just it's part of our relationship and it's an established element in our relationship uh skanky calling the girl who was looking up outgoing call records for him hun uh, is inappropriate in the workplace, which right. she calls him out on. Patrice yells at him, um, which I think it's funny. He gets paged. He, his pager beeps, and then he has to call from Natalie's phone. Um, and then Patrice yells at him, and he's like, geez, I'm sorry, Patrice, and hangs up. But at least she calls him on it. Right. I mean, it's 1992. That I'm glad we at least highlighted that that was inappropriate. Um just going to leave it at that. Uh, but tracking the outgoing calls for Burkhart, we find out he has been calling a strip club. And uh, so did the other guy. Yeah. And they, also, Natalie notes that the the lipstick that they found on the bodies is theatrical. Right. So it's uh, not she notices the that lipstick. the perfume, they both have the same perfume on them. Yeah. Uh, they both have the same lipstick. The perfume perfume is generic, yeah. But the lipstick is specialty. Specialty, yeah. It's it's theatrical, so it's like extra thick. Um, so they go to the strip club. Is that what theatrical means there? Yeah, I think so. Like theatrical makeup is extra thick, so it shows up under the lights, and so you can't like sweat it off. Okay, well, I wasn't sure what the distinction was for theatrical makeup. Yeah, literally, makeup you would use. In the theater. Okay. Yeah. Less prone to smudging probably because of the, of course, because it's uh, for the strip club. So we go to the strip club and Skanky is immediately lecherous. Just like when he went to the Raven. Yeah. So uh, Nick actually grabs his head and pulls his face away and is like, Myra. (laughs) He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll go ask questions. Uh, And Nick finds his way to the manager who was running the soundboard. And he gets a funny line. What's the matter, guy? You can't read the sign there? Come on. Well, you know, four beers, little James Brown. You can't keep me off the table. Yeah, can I help you with something or what, you know? Um, And then he's asking the manager some questions. And the manager is implying, oh, he may know the answer, but he's... He needs a couple dollars. He needs a couple he bills needs some first. Convincing. He needs some convincing. So Nick's like, I'm short on cash, but I'm sure if I made a phone call and I got 20, 30 uniforms in here, somebody's going to have some, some, change, some, some spare, spare change. change. Uh, and the guy's like, fine, whatever. I'll answer your questions. Uh, which he gets a couple questions in before he has to cut so that he can announce the next dancer. And this next dancer is Anne. And, and she really gets Nick's attention. Yeah. So Nick is immediately like, oh, oh hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm just going to watch the show for a second. I don't know. It's a little. The rest of the episode, we kind of understand his motivations. But this one is a little bit uh, left in- ambiguous. I mean, she's a, she's fine. I thought the lady before her was a better dancer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Rachel noted that for this filming, 
this was an actual strip club. Yeah, this is an actual strip club. And they just set up their filming in the actual strip club. So I thought, well, maybe like the bouncer and the dancers are the actual employees. Yeah. And then the only like uh, non-employee was Anne. Right. And probably the manager. And they're the least convincing. Yeah. Like members of this establishment. And we get another flashback transition here. And this is one of my favorite ways they do the flashback is where he's like looking at a face and we'll do like a flash, 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 where we flash back and forth between a face in the past and the face he's looking at in modern times. And then when we finished our like flip flop, we end up in his flashback. So he's seeing this woman, but he's thinking about Jeanette. Right. There's a big parallel between... Him first meeting Jeanette and him first meeting Anne. Right. And then the trajectory that things went on with Jeanette and the trajectory that things will will be going on with Anne. Right. Which Jeanette gets most of the lines in this flashback. Um, They're pretty heavy handed. I don't know. This might have been a really good place to strategically do this in French. I feel like this whole thing would have gone over better in subtitles because she gets some pretty goofy lines. And Nick is clearly just like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, whatever you say, say, whatever you say, babe. Mm -hmm." You could literally say anything and I would just keep nodding my head and saying yes. Yeah, you can can swallow my light. That's fine. You can swallow anything. (laughs) He's just not listening. (laughs) It's definitely just like, "Uh uh-huh, 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 whatever you need to hear. That's what I'm saying right now. Um, so it comes off as, I don't know, it's, it's not as successful as some other flashbacks, but it's, it's like an elevator flashback. They're in one room and there's like a blue light in the background, which isn't really explained. It's just to give them like a dramatic silhouette. Right. Yeah. It's an anachronistic light source. Right. And I mean, they're both doing their best, but this was not a lot to work with here (laughs) but anyway um anyway so then we get the strategically hidden breasts scene that we see every time we watch the intro because you guys stopped skipping the intro like i told you to right so that you can memorize the intro obviously so there's that part where she turns around and he holds up his police badge at just the right moment uh and that's this scene right here um because he's gone back into the dressing room with Anne foley which is her name, uh, to ask her some questions. Because the manager said she might know something about these two guys. Yeah, because they used to talk to her, because they came there to see her. Right. Uh, so she goes back behind her little changing thing, uh, mostly to strip and silhouette for Nick. And he kind of, he does the like Riker sit on this chair where he turns it around and sits on it. And then he grabs her lipstick and he, like, scrapes the top of her lipstick with his fingernail, like, really aggressively. Right. Like, noticeably. <laughs> um, yeah, there's probably a... But he could have done that differently, but yeah. whatever, it works. doesn't really matter. Um, she gets it... The, the whole point is he's getting a sample He's collecting of a sample yeah. for Natalie. Um, well, he's, like, tossing her clothes and flirty chatting with her. Um, and she's, like, heavy-handedly flirting with him. Like, it's... It's, it's pretty heavy. A lot of innuendos, a lot of... Yeah, there's nothing subtle. Right. I wish I could be. I guess you're just going to have to keep digging. Pulling back the layers. Investigational Theory 101. Stripping 404. And so uh, Skanky shows up. 
uh, just as she gets done getting dressed. And, and this is where the tension starts with Skanky. Right. So he goes out so they can kind of regroup and brief still in the strip club. <laughs> and then a couple times when we cut back, Skanky has a drink, like a glass with like. He does. Yeah. They're sitting at the it. table yeah. and there's. A, and then a dancer sets up right next to them. Right, because she's working for tips. Right, um, which, which they, they could have said something I know, like, they could have just been like, uh, hey, you're wasting your time, we're police. Sorry, yeah, but this is so skanky can ogle her, which is a little uncomfortable. This is another, like, we're highlighting skanky's sexism and his bias because we're setting him up as an unlikable character, at least for this episode. Um, We're going to get more sexism with skanky. I mean, this is partly, it's 1992 and our sensibilities. I mean, this is a different conversation 30 years ago than it is now. But this is one where he's, he was probably, he was even villainous doing this in 1992. Right. Um, but he's talking to Skank, uh, to Nick about what does it for him, which is apparently. It, as uh, and he's doing it to highlight his observation yeah. that obviously whatever Anne has is doing it for Nick. Right. And let me tell you what does it for me so that we can, you know, pal around about it. Right. And he's and, like, oh, it's knee skirts, uh, plaid skirts and knee socks. And Nick's like, knee socks? <laughs> Although you should have seen yourself. I guess you're never going to know what it's going to be. What What's going to be? What it is that's going to do it for you. With me, it's autumn afternoons, plaid skirts, knee socks. Knee socks? Yeah. Martha this Kiki regales him with the story from his past when he was overcome by a pair of knee socks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's... Whatever. This whole point, the whole point of this scene is that Skanky is like, women are always the villain because they can corrupt us just by wagging their boobs in our face. And Nick is like, oh, come on, Skanky. Get your head out of the dark ages, which he ought to know. He was there. You can't trust them as far as you can throw their credit cards. Come on, Skanky, get out of the dark ages. Can't blame women for all the evils of the world. We all have our dark sides. A million things can trigger it off. Greed. Fear. Lust for power. Women. For some guys, it's women. It's like, that's, nobody believes that anymore. He's like, it's like greed, money, power. Skanky's like, and women... And Nick's like, I guess, yeah, for some guys it's women. But it's not the woman's fault is what he's implying. It's just that a guy's perception of a woman is the problem, not the woman herself. Although in this case, Anne is, is our villain. Right. Anne yeah. is uh, exercising her influence. Yeah. But he's refuting Skanky's blanket statement. Right. Yeah, because then Skanky gets the, do they even realize what power they have over us line? Which Nick is like, I roll. I'm, I'm over this. So he gets up to leave. 
And when the dancer stops to get her tip, Skanky just holds up his police badge and shakes his head. Right. Skanky, that's part of the, I guess, negative aspect of his character right now is he let her set up and dance right there, knowing that she was expecting tips. Yeah. And that his, his way out was... To just flash his back. Exercise his influence. Yeah. To extract something from another person. Right. Yeah. Exactly what he was accusing women of doing. Right. My hot take on this moment when Nick first meets Anne is that he immediately recognizes a fellow predator. Yes. Yes. I, I got that sense too. Yeah. And so from here on out, Nick's hunting her, um, which is why we get a lot of his like dark, aggressive behavior. Exactly what you would expect from like dark Nick. Right. And yeah. So when, when he was really focused on her when she first came out. Yeah. My thought was okay, he's recognizing a predatory woman. Right. And he starts sending all of the kinds of signals that Anne is looking for in a target. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's he's acting like the predator that he is. He's luring in Anne. Uh, so we leave from here and we cut. And Skanky's apparently worked his day. And now Nick uh, has woken up and Skanky comes to his apartment to brief each other. Right, the handoff of the shift. The handoff of the shift. And Skanky tells him that he he followed up on the accountant, and the accountant was dirty. He'd been stealing. Right. And, he and gets, Skanky dramatically yawns here. Yeah. So that we know that it's the end of his work it's day. It's the end of his work day. And he gets this line. It seems like the company had been investigating him for the last two weeks. Old Benny boy was dirty. Oh, yeah? How dirty? Up to his eyeballs in grade A, high sulfite, low mulch content manure. He'd been embezzling from one of his... About grade-A manure. <laughs> Which is a little was, overdone. Well, he was in deep shit, is what he's saying. Right. But he can't say deep shit, so he just gives, like, a long description of manure. But basically, this guy was in deep shit because he'd stolen $50,000 in the last two months. From a very high-profile client. Right. In a not-subtle way. And everybody knew about it. But nobody knows where the money went. He didn't spend it. He didn't deposit it. Where did it go? Uh, we know where it went and got it, but they, we don't say that right here, but everybody knows. Cause really there's only one suspect. They don't ever pursue any other suspect. Nick walks in and he's like finger point to the eye finger point to Anne. He's like, got you. You're it. I just got to figure out how to, how to get you. So we go back to Jilly's, but Anne is leaving and she kind of walks out the side door and looks around. And there's nobody there. But then Nick walks out of this alley. And he ends up following her home. And this is one of those situations where I wish I could watch this show like it would have been in 1992. Because she's supposed to be driving like a fancy sports car. And it just looks like this little red sports car. It just looks like an old crappy car. But she's supposed to be driving like a fancy. Very expensive car. Very expensive car. car. And so they And then she drives up to this... Like luxury condo. Right. 
And so they get there and she drives into the parking deck and Nick's like, I could ring and have her let me up or I could fly to her balcony and be waiting for totally her. Totally not suspiciously. <laughs> so he just whoosh, whooshes his way up. <laughs> and it's like they just put a camera on a wire and just lifted it up because it's kind of wobbling and yeah. twisting a little bit. Well, it's got to match the like ultralight over Toronto footage that we do for all the other flights. Yeah, the handy cam flight yeah. footage. Yeah. yeah. So they. We simulate Nick flying up to her apartment, which I don't even know how he knows which apartment is hers. He follows his nose. I guess. <laughs> he knows what her perfume smells like. So that's not outside the realm of the possible. He may have just been flying past all of the balconies. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not this one. Oh, God. <laughs> Next one. Where does she live? Well, it doesn't take him too long because he's waiting when she gets in the apartment. And she turns the light on, and he's, like, leaning against he's the door. He's standing the at the, yeah. And she's like, well, hello there. <laughs> she is not as freaked out as she should be at all, which is, uh, she's not mentally which stable. she knew, she noticed he was following her. Yeah. Right after she started driving. And she could sense his darkness. She could sense the predator. She could sense the, she's like, I can feel the evil inside you. Okay, well, he wants to feel his evil inside her. <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't use that line. I know. I mean, she does everything but. This entire episode is a, that's what she said, <laughs> conversation. It really is. Because she's not freaked out at all. She's just like, oh, I didn't know the service elevator came up this high. Well, how did he get in your apartment still? Like, that doesn't, as a... I'm not afraid of a man. This is another example. Who tries to get what he wants. <laughs> this is another example of Nick just giving giving zero shits about hiding what he is. He's just like, what you going to do? You going to tell me I flew up here? No, you're not. You could just so I, I thought there this. was a little bit of a mismatch in the amount of effort Nick exerted to get a desired impact yeah where he's he shows up in her apartment yeah versus her perception of what he would how much effort he would have had to expend to get into her her apartment like that yeah and it would have been really hard he would have had to been trying really 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 hard to get to her apartment and get in Past her after she drove into the parking lot first, right? To be standing there nonchalantly at her window when yeah. really he just like parked alongside the road and got out, looked around, see if anybody's watching him, and then jumped, right? Basically, <laughs> leaped, <laughs> he yeeted himself up to her. Apartment. <laughs> it probably would have come off. A little smoother. I don't know. It like he, he comes off. You can't you can't rationalize your way out of this. I'm sorry. He flew well, up to her apartment and he was waiting on her balcony and she just right. accepted it. I know, but her I feel like her perception of that should have been this guy is way more dangerous than he seems. Right, but she is too full of her own sense of being above. She is full of the sense that she is darker and more evil than all of these people. 
And he's already like subservient to her. Right. Because it's not about be actually knowing the other person. It's just about corrupting them. Because what can I get them to what do? What can I get them to do? So she's not seeing Nick. If she was seeing Nick at all, she would realize that she's out of her league. But she's not because she thinks everyone is out of her league. Because she's used to her ability to manipulate getting her what she wants. And so what she sees is a guy desperate enough that he'll pull this kind of stunt to impress her. Right. And that's all she sees. And she gets some, we get a lot of heavy-handed dialogue in this episode, and she gets a fair amount of it. Jeanette gets the other half. She gets the other half. She's and like, then it's, the rest of the dialogue is Nick just going, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, whatever you say, And then, babe. like, waving his open mouth around their face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but she says, not to dare is to not live or whatever, some some trait, whatever you you gotta live a, on the edge, a man. A, I, I told you about deepity. Yeah, deepity. Earlier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where it appears, it deep, sounds but profound, it's but it's actually not. has no substance. Yeah. Right. So she kind of lures him in, gives him a little heavy-handed dialogue about how she used to be a corporate lawyer and she gave it all up. So and she that's could, why she could afford this fancy condo. Yeah. So she can watch people's descent. Into darkness or whatever. And he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> he's like, okay. Um, and so she, we do a lot of open mouth waving at each other, which is. Um, That's how you made out in the 90s on TV. <laughs> the 90s, I guess. Tell me you don't want me to have an alibi. Tell me you don't want me right now so badly you can't even remember your name. Don't. Believe me, you don't want me to forget myself. I want you to forget half of yourself. Um, and so she, when she feels like she's got him on the hook, she's like, I want you to steal for me. Which is laughable, right? Because Right, and you can see, like, Nick. Nick pulls his head back Nick's for a like, minute, like... Wait, what? Like... That's all you want me to do? Uh, okay. And then he's like, hold on, wait. <sighs> Gotta get back into character. No, because here's from Nick's point of view. He's... Older than the United States, right? He has been a vampire since before since before Christopher Columbus uh, infected North America <laughs> with his presence, uh, and this and he has been murdering, pillaging, all sorts of whatnot. Right, and he's chasing a murderer. Right, and right? so she, all, she, he knows that she got a guy to kill another guy, right, because of her magic vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's pursuing her right. to catch a murderer. And so he's like, oh, yeah, she's finally asking me to do it. Oh, okay. I'm ready. Steal something for me. And he's like, what the fuck? Wait, do you, what? Do you know what kind of asset you just reeled in? Do you know what you have? <laughs> no, you don't. Clearly, because you just asked an 18 or an 800-year-old murderer. To serial killer deal a book for you attempting to reform serial killer but st- but nonetheless yeah and so he's like um okay sure what do you what do you want and uh she's like something that will be missed i want burkhart's casebook yeah burkhart's casebook because apparently burkhart kept a casebook where he wrote everything down uh and 
Yeah, you can see right after she says steal, he does this little like he pulls his head back like, okay, gotcha. Like we're in. I don't. This is dumb. I don't know why I'm doing this, but okay. One more thing. So we go back to the precinct, and there is a lot of tension because he walks in and Skanky's immediately like, "Where were you last night? I know where you were." I forget he calls him like Casanova or something. He's basically yeah. implying that he spent the night with Anne for something other than in the carnal sense, stimulating conversation to, to have intimate moments <laughs> with Anne. Um, and Nick doesn't really dispute this. He's just like, shut up, skanky. And then he walks into Stone Tree's office and we get more, more, more attention. Where and I'd say Garant does a really good job of playing Nick as the guy who's actually like gone bad. Yeah. Like he's actually hooking up with this murder suspect. Right. Under the pretense of investigating her to see yeah. if she actually did it and offering no excuses for his behavior. Right. He does a really good job of giving us the sense that this is a creature masquerading as a man who could literally murder everyone in the room. And the only thing stopping him from doing it is himself. And And he can very easily change his mask. Yeah. There's Nick Knight, the upright detective, but then there's also Nick Knight, the serial predator. And you get that moment right when Skanky pushes him a little too hard. And he does the like flip where he flips and turns to Skanky. Like, you're next. Like, uh, one more word. One more word, Skanky. And he doesn't say anything. He just turns. And that's when Stone Tree intervenes. He's like, guys, whatever, whatever's going on here, you, you need to go go solve the case and quit pissing all over each other. <laughs> <laughs> so they leave. Um and not before Nick gets the key to Stone Tree's dresser drawer, dresser drawer. in his apartment. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, one thing I wanted to add is the skanky that comes out here in response to Nick's, like, predator mask that he's wearing, that skank, this skanky feels a lot like the hyper-ambitious skanky from yes. the movie. Yeah. Definitely. And so Stone Tree tells Nick that the casebook, oh yeah, yeah, I've got the casebook. It's at my house. It's in my apartment. It's in my dresser drawer. Here's the key. It's under my little, my little trophy of an accordion. And Nick's like, thanks. And he just takes the key and stalks off. And we get a little moment right here with Skanky, which it is, I think, supposed to highlight how much of this tension is, um, affected because he goes accordion trophy the stone right. tree's like He's yeah like, i played the polka <laughs> yeah like, and it's, the mood shifts very quickly it's very at odds as soon as nick leaves immediately the the mood shifts and we're just back to palling around like we normally do right as if none of that almost homicidal moment never happened so how much of that is like is nick using his like mental powers of persuasion to kind of influence everybody's moods. I think they're all in on it. 
You think, think they're all in on it yeah, the whole time? Yeah, I think time. they're all in on it the whole time. Because at the very end, they're all, they're clearly all, on, they all are on board. Because when we have the wrap up and we're talking to each other, they're all like, they're all friends again. Right. As and if there was no Nick tension. is wearing a wire. Oh, not, not yet. Not that I'm thinking about it. I wonder if Nick and Stone Tree were talking secretly. Yeah. And Skanky. I think the I only know one. I Skanky was in on it. I think he is. I think at, not at the beginning. Because we have established that they meet at his apartment. And I think the reason we have all that performative stuff at the precinct is because we don't know what her super magic vagina powers have done. We don't know right. who how she's many other people yeah. are. Does she have, you know, on her strings uh, that she, might be listening in the police right, station? If she was able to get Burkhart, who was one of Stone Tree's best detectives. Who else does she have? I think the only one not in on it is Natalie. I think the only one who's not in the loop is Natalie, which is why her reaction when point. he goes to see her is so genuine. She's genuinely put off by his behavior. I think she's only ever a hair's breadth away from being terrified of Nick anyway, because she knows what he is. Right. And so anytime that he acts weird in the least bit, not jovial, happy Nick, she's like, you cool, Nick? Everything good? <laughs> not gonna no murder spree for us today right <laughs> i mean we're meant to see them as like a couple almost a couple like if they're talking to each other as you would say where we live they're they're uh in the process of establishing a relation a romantic relationship um at but least, they haven't asked each other out yet right but they're not they're courting they're courting um and so that's why she's a little bit offended when he shows up and he's He's being an asshole. Right. Yeah. And so she does. She yells at him. Uh, and she gets real pissy about his new, quote, diversion. Uh, but then he goes to Anne and he's got the notebook. So we just skip the whole part where he goes and gets the notebook because then we don't have to have a set for Stone Tree's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> save a few dollars. Save a few bucks. Save, save it for the special effects for flying up to Anne's yeah. apartment. And so he gives her the notebook and she just tosses it on the fire. And he does the like, vampire, hate, hate fire thing. Where he like turns away from the fire. <laughs> uh, which... I'm wondering... In this condo complex, how does she have an operational fireplace? Maybe she's in the penthouse. And it's, I don't know. I don't. Again, you are, you are ascribing reason here when there is none. Okay. It's, it's on par with her just accepting the fact that he landed on her balcony with no other, no other way that he could have gotten in or gotten up there or anything. She just accepts Maybe it. Maybe it's more I'm trying to find out how much... Are they paying attention to the details here to see if it's relevant, like a Chekhov's rifle kind of thing? Well, some apartments have it. I mean, it's a gas fireplace. So it's definitely possible that like every apartment or every condo in this row, because she has like a two-story condo. So there could only be like five condos in this row, and they could all have to share a chimney. I mean, it's possible. Anyway, it's there. Because she uses it to burn the book. Right. It's there the and functional because she needs to burn a paper notebook. Yeah. And so when um, Nick goes back to the precinct this time, Skanky, uh, Stone Tree says that Skanky's looking for him because he's got information. 
And so he finds Skanky and Skanky pulls him aside. But like we have a completely different dynamic when we meet this time because Anne off camera has asked him to do something else. Because we got a little bit more open mouth waving at each other. Right. After he brought the notebook back. Yeah. She was like, okay, I want you to do something else. Right. But we didn't say what She doesn't say what it is. Right. But we get like a, something else is afoot. Because as soon as he sees Skanky, he's like, look, man, I'm sorry. We kind of had a moment there, but best buds? Because Skanky's like, yeah, sure. I got some information to tell you. So he kind of pulls him aside. And he tells him that this has happened before. This same M.O., in Buffalo. Same scenario. Same scenario. And Anne was there. Right, which Natalie wanted to tell him that there were unsolved murders in the last several years here um, that met the same MO. So she's been doing this for a while. Um, so they, he's like, well, you know what? I hear you, buddy. Let's go talk let's to go talk to Let's go talk you, to Anne about it. Yeah, Nick is like, do you mind if we go talk to Anne before we go to Stone Tree? Just to like, just to confirm our suspicions before we bother Stone Tree with this, and right. Skanky's like, yeah, yeah, that totally sounds reasonable. That so totally then, does not sound suspicious, right. of Nick. So we go to the same warehouse, the same. But he sells warehouse. it. He does right. sell it. Garrett sells sells this. Right, Nick is selling it this entire time, and uh, I think everybody's in on it. But everybody is doing a great job of maintaining this illusion that they are all, that Nick is under her spell. And he's driving everyone away because of it. He's embracing his dark side, which he even says, listen, you don't want me to forget myself, which is fair. So they go to the same warehouse. It's the same warehouse. Does she not have another warehouse? Does she this own is, this warehouse? This is her kill room. This is her kill room. Um, but they found the bodies there like immediately last time. So I don't know why she feels like this is the warehouse that she needs to come back to. Uh, maybe because she knows it. I don't know, but they're walking through this dark warehouse and Skanky kicks like a... And Nick kind of lets Skanky go ahead. Yeah. And Skanky walks into like a dress... He walks into like a piece of furniture that's on the ground. He's like, man, I should have brought a flashlight. And Nick goes, I can see fine, Skanky. (laughs) Ow. I knew we should have brought a flashlight. I can see fine, Skanky. Because he's not trying to hide (laughs) the fact that he's a vampire at at all. He's begging Skanky to figure this out. Like, put it together, Skanky. Which I don't think we're far away from the episode where we find out why he hasn't just outright told more people. I don't want to spoil that for you. But there's a reason why he doesn't just tell everybody what he is. Although he's basically just telling everybody what he is at all times. It's just nobody's listening. Uh, And so Anne shows up. And she's in like a patch of light in the warehouse and she opens her coat and she's wearing a plaid skirt and knee socks which she knows does it for skanky right and skanky's like oh it's even the right school he's like it's even the right school did did he tell you i can't Uh, believe he told you that but he can't keep talking because Anne like attacks his face and pushes him against the wall attacks his face in like a kissy kissy way not attacks his face in like a violent way she says this I saw you watching me last night. I saw you watching me on stage. I was really flattered. You seemed to really enjoy my performance. What? Yeah. Which uh, Skanky's going along with. Yeah, Skanky's like, "Mm, okay. I mean, we believe it. 
Skanky's done this before where he's just made out with random women. So, okay. Um, and she this gets, is the second time he's yeah, been attacked by a sexually aggressive it's woman. It's only the fifth episode. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Skanky. So he gets pushed against the wall um, and she steps back just in time for Nick to wrap a wire around Skanky's neck to strangle him. Chokes him out, drops him on the floor. Yeah, so Skanky falls, and Nick's like, and then and then Anne is like, okay, tell me. And he says, I was right. I saw it in you. Tell me. No, you tell me. What did it feel like to kill Burkhardt? It felt fantastic. It felt sexy and powerful. When I put that knife into him, I felt it go right through me. What's wrong? You don't have to tell me anymore. Because you know exactly how it feels? No. Because you have the right to remain silent. And so now he's become the predator. Right. And she going along with it. She's feeling the moment. Yeah. She's going to get his confession in a minute. And so she just tells everything. Yeah. She's like, like, oh, that feels so good. Maybe if I confess everything first, yeah. it'll get you to disclose even more to me now. Right. So he gets her to confess to Burkhardt's murder. Just straight confession. And he's like, he pulls his head back because she goes to kiss him again. And he's like, nope, thanks. You don't need to say anything else. And then he pulls out the microphone. Oh, he says, you have the right to remain silent. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, yeah. this is Canada. I don't think they have Miranda rights. They don't. And I've heard it's a thing that even in Canada, people are like, what about my Miranda rights? And they're like, this is not the United States. <laughs> but anyway, she has the right to remain silent. So he pulls the... the um, his collar back and he's wearing a wire and she's like, you bitch. But apparently she prepared for this because a third guy. Another lover. Surprise. (laughs) This woman must have, I mean, just like magic. Vagina magic. That's what this is because she has also ensnared the manager of the strip club. Because that's is that who, who this is? Yeah, that's who that is. Oh. So he shoots Nick, and Nick falls next to Skanky. And Skanky's like, oh my god, man, are right. you okay? So <laughs> she knows that Nick has a wire. Yeah. And that he's been recording everything she's been saying. She has Nick shot. Ostensibly, he's dead. And she leaves him there with the wire. Yeah. And potentially a recording device. That seems a little short-sighted. Eh, oh, she's unstable that's true yeah that's true so she dips uh with her new third bff or fifth or i don't even know 28th whatever so she she leaves with this guy um and he flees in one direction and oh well well, the skanky's like nick are you okay and he's like oh yeah uh he missed me he missed me and i i hit i just fell on something i fell on something are you okay And And Skanky's like, well, I'll just wear turtlenecks because he got choked. And so So then they very easily catch up. Yeah. Or at least Nick very easily catches up. Well, Nick does like a a rooftop jumpy thing where he like looks up at the rooftop. He's like, Skanky, you go that way. Yeah. And And then he's up on the rooftop. And so the guy tries to shoot Nick up on the rooftop and Skanky gets him from below. 
And then he finds Anne. And we get this really cool scene where he's like walking out of the shadow of the stairwell while he's talking to her. And it's just a really well lit. I mean, I had a super huge crush on Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying I don't still. So when he's walking out, it's it's just a nicely lit scene. And it he's he does such a good job of portraying like age. And especially in this moment where, it's, I mean, she's like a child to him, playing with something she doesn't understand, playing with this darkness, which she is like put on a pedestal and he knows it for what it is. And so he wants to give her the chance to move past this, uh, find some help or whatever. And so he's trying to get her to just surrender, come in. Let's let's get you help. And she's like, you're not Dirk. You're just a tourist. <laughs> like, no, I'm the entire country. But thanks for asking. <laughs> like, I am darkness. I am the night. <laughs> and she's like, well, I know what it's like to kill, but I don't know what it's like to die. And she jumps off the side. And And whereas last week's episode was all about suicide because of a lack of lust for life, which is the right. whole reason why Erica um, did what she did. This week's is treated entirely differently. Right. Because this is not about someone. It's more of an escape route. Yeah. it's She has created this narrative for her life where facing the consequences doesn't fit in this narrative. And so if she faces the consequences, then this whole persona, this whole story that she's telling yeah, herself, this story that she's created for herself, that she's this dark vixen who has power over men and can do whatever she wants. And she corrupts the pure and her darkness and her evil is her purity. If she goes to prison, like any common criminal, that doesn't, fit this narrative because right. in her mind it's a very, that destroys her, she her story has a uh, grandiose sense of self and i think if nick could have stopped her he would have because you can see he's really upset that she jumps and he is invested in trying to help her that's why he's right. there that's why he doesn't really make any effort to try to save the man uh, I think because he's still seeing the man as the villain. But he's trying to help her. Uh, he's seeing the man as the villain in the way he saw himself as the villain in the flashbacks. Right. He's ascribing the moral failing, again, to the guy who fell for it. And not the woman who just asked the question. So he's he's upset um, that she does this, but it's, but the way in which they treat her leaving is so in keeping with her just over the top, but the way it's treated is so in keeping with her otherwise extremely like extra personality, her like over the topness that we've been going with this entire episode, her almost caricature of the like evil vixen. Uh, femme fatale, like uh, Cherche la femme. Skanky oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Uh, the it almost ends up comic when when she's on the ground and she's still so committed to her persona that she's like, oh, it feels good to die. Which has to hurt Nick after an entire episode of wrestling with his own feelings of loss and wanting to follow Erica or considering following Erica. And then this woman gives up everything just because she doesn't want to face the consequences. Right. Yeah. That's almost like a part of her isn't uh, aware that it's an end that maybe she'll survive somehow. I don't think she wants to survive. I just think that getting out of this was never, she never had an escape plan. I think she just went into this wanting the cheap thrill, which is what he ends up saying she wants. Um, But without really any willingness to pay the price for what she was doing, which is kind of one of the themes of Nick, which is, did he go into this knowing what price he would pay for immortality? And the thing about the flashback is we're kind of left ambiguous at the end because he's with Jeanette. She gets out of the bed. She kind of backs to the doorway and then LaCroix walks in. Right. And he's like, Nick, we're going to be friends for a long, long time. So whereas previous flashbacks have framed it as his choice to become immortal, you're left wondering, did he really know what he was getting into? Okay, well, that that's an interesting point, because for any kind of transformative experience, you literally cannot know what it will be like to yeah. be something different, whether that's a vampire mm. or a uh, there's, a, there's a lady who wrote a book called Transformative Experience, mm. uh, L.A. Paul. Uh, uh, but she, one of her like explanatory stories is like a thought exercise on imagine your friend asked you, do you want to be a vampire? And so you have to evaluate, <laughs> okay, do I actually want to be a vampire? But I don't know what it will actually be like to yeah. be a vampire. And uh, what kind of, what will my sensibilities be like? After I'm a vampire, after my entire worldview has changed and all of my cravings and everything are different. And so the, she uses this metaphor, uh, or the author uses this metaphor uh, as just an over-the-top example, mm-hmm. but it's analogous to, like, do I know what it will be like to be a parent yeah. before I become a parent? And so... Uh, for Nick, he can't. He literally right. can't. And there are certain things, certain trend, ways you, you change, and you can't go back. Yeah. So you have to play with smaller ideas. Yeah. So in some ways, Nick is like kind of the long-form version of Anne Foley in that he spent a large portion of his life reveling. Chasing the dark. Was, chasing yeah. the darkness. And then he has chosen to face the consequences. And in fact, our entire last episode was about the idea that he didn't want to escape the consequences. He wanted to be here. He wanted to atone. He wanted to go through his period of of seeking, of facing consequences, of becoming mortal, so that he could have a life beyond it. 
And so he's trying to get Erica, he's trying to get Anne there. And she's just like, nah, I'd rather right. know what she it's like to die. She hasn't reached the point where she's aware of the full breadth of what she's gotten herself into. Right. Like she's, she's so focused on the cheap thrill that she's blinding herself. She's paying so much attention to the sensation of the thrill that she's able to ignore all this other stuff about the consequences and, oh, how do I actually get out of this yeah. if things go bad? And so even to the end, she is so focused on the sensation and the thrill and the novelty and the exercising her own power and agency that even as she's laying there dying, yeah. she's completely ignorant of the fact that she's dying and yeah. it's going to be over. Yeah. It's final. Yeah. yeah. Could he have stopped her? I don't think so. Cause we don't get that. He's like speedy, like fast. Could have at least jumped after her. I and, mean, he'd have have to flown and catch right. her, which as much as he doesn't hide what he is, he doesn't show he, it off. Doesn't. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't, he's not flamboyant about it. He doesn't, he doesn't actively fly in front of anybody intentionally often. <laughs> <laughs> We've only seen it, uh, him do it what, twice now. Yeah. It's only the fifth episode. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's flown in front of people as many times as Skanky has been sexually assaulted. Yeah. Or sexually assaulted. I don't know. That, does, would, you, would that count? Uh. Yeah, yeah, because if you think of Alma as having hypnotized him, yes. that's non-consensual. And then this whole thing where she wore the wore the provocative outfit and then kissed him, that feels non-consensual. So, okay, that fits the definition. Uh, so, anyway, we... I, I thought carefully before I used that phrase. Yeah, I was just trying to make sure... I, I was clear on that too. So then, uh, so they go back to the precinct and they're having their wrap up. We always have kind of a wrap up, like a minor philosophical discussion after every case. And mm -hmm. that's what we're getting here. And we're all buddies again, which we don't ever explicitly say it, but leads me to believe that everybody was in on this. Right. Yeah. Because. Right. And it's this typical era of television. Every episode has to end with this, the whole situation. Complete. Exactly the same yeah. as it was at the start of the episode. Right. Yeah. Either they were in on it or Nick has explained what he was up to, which someone yeah. had to put the wire on him. Right. So, and then. And somebody had to be yeah. listening. Yep. So somebody had to be in on it. And I'm guessing it's everybody because we're wrapping it up. And he's like, well, why did Skanky says to Nick, why did she want you to kill me? That she asked you that before she even knew I suspected you, and so Nick gets to recycle Skanky's line from the strip club, right? About cheap, cheap thrills. thrills. He said she was an uncomplicated woman. She was just after cheap thrills. Cheap thrills, as in shallow desires. Yeah. So then Stone Tree Not, gets a uh, cost. Stone Tree gets the line. So this was one. Uncomplicated lady, Skanky. Ultimately, everything she did came down to one reason. Thrills. Cheap thrills. 
<laughs> well put. Thank you very much. Well, I don't know. Those cheap thrills turned out to be pretty expensive. And Which is kind of like an equivocation on the term cheap. Yeah. Where he's, you know, well, he turned out to be pretty expensive in the end. And we do get Nick's purple members-only jacket. For as, the first time. As promised. Here it is. I promised you the mullet and it showed up. I promised you the purple jacket and here we are. What's next? I feel like we've established a trusting partnership over Forever Night at this point. I, I feel like we've established a trusting partnership over the last, uh, how many, how many <laughs> what years day is has it, it been? <laughs> <laughs> Almost 20. Don't even talk to me. Uh, so, 19 years. Holy yeah. shit balls. <sighs> anyway. It's almost as trusting of a relationship as Skanky letting Nick choke him, like, with a wire. <laughs> that was bold. <laughs> that was bold. Especially considering, that's why I think they were in on it. Because there's right. no Right, so way. I made a comment at the beginning about how much Skanky trusts Nick. Yeah. And it seems like they didn't really plan, well, Nick was obviously wearing the wire. Yeah. So it wasn't like in the moment, like Nick's choking him out and like, just go with it. Like whispering <laughs> in his ear. Right. Like they must have had a conversation yeah, they had about it. Ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. Before. But uh, even just discussing it beforehand, obviously Skanky trusts him enough right. to let him choke him out with a garret, garrot. Yeah. 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 So I, I, that's why I think he's in on it all the whole time. Unless you go with the theory that Skanky just knows that Nick is some sort of benevolent supernatural creature and he's probably got this. <laughs> because then, yeah, he'd be like, I, if you wanted to kill me, I couldn't stop you. So I'm just right. going to have to. At every moment that we've been together, <laughs> you could kill me and I could not stop you. Yeah. So you haven't I've just me accepted yet. this. Yeah. And I just go along with whatever happens. Yeah, because and trust that you have you, a good reason. Right, for it. I, I trust you because you could have ended me at any time, and you chose not to. So thank you, whatever you are. <laughs> I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go with that because it's gonna it's gonna create a lot of interesting commentary from here on out. It's a good fan theory. It's a good fan theory, is any? It's Thirty years later, I could make up any fan theory I want. So that's what I'm gonna go with. So now you've got two.
three, three episodes of what I would consider actual Forever Night episodes under your belt. How are you feeling about Forever Night now that you've actually spent time watching more than one episode in a row and not the same episodes over and over and over again? I'm looking forward to the next one. See, it's a good show, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it hooks you. It does. I mean, you just got to get over the age and that some things don't age well. I mean, this was 30 years ago. So Yeah, this was uh, 1993, right? Yeah, so there's a way of speaking and a way of interacting that we don't see anymore. And once you can kind of just accept that it's of its time and no no offense was intended, uh, it's not so bad. I mean, I don't find it that offensive. I mean, Skanky's a little sexist. And... But right, like anything, anything old, you have to take a little bit in context of the culture of the time. Yeah. And this isn't that far of a stretch. Yeah, it's not, it's not too hard to swallow. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, our movie this week is Train to Busan. So if you're following along with us. And you want to be able to listen to the episode when it posts on Friday. It will be about Train to Busan. Uh, Train to Busan is a zombie movie. So it's our first true terrestrial terrestrial horror movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> we did Pandorum, which was sci-fi horror. But this is our first like horror movie. Well, Legend... Legend is not a horror movie. It's a fantasy Find movie. It like terrestrial monster. Satan notwithstanding. <laughs> it's not a horror movie. It is not intended to invoke fear uh, in the way that the zombie movie glory that is Train to Busan is intended to induce fear. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm not sure exactly where it's available to stream, but once I figure out where we're going to watch it, I will post that information. And in the meantime... You can follow us on Instagram at Strange and Beautiful Book Club, or you can find us on Patreon and become the third real Patreon. Because <laughs> uh, we have two. Uh, and Matt. Matt says he doesn't count, but he counts. So I guess we have three. You can be the fourth, but the third real one. Anyway, that's a long roundabout way of saying you can find us on Patreon at Strange and Beautiful Book Club. And all of these links are available at strangeandbeautiful.com club which is our website that's strange and beautiful dot club and you can email me at rachel at strange and beautiful dot club or you can email matt at matt at strange and beautiful dot club or if you want to speak to both of us you can email us at the hosts at strange and beautiful dot club remember sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too so be who you are and love what you love until next time friends bye, bye. Local warm-up. Hi, Pippin.
Hi, are you here to act a fool again? Meow, meow. You gonna meow through the whole thing? I heard that. Meow. I heard that meow. You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network podcast, a network of shows focusing on unscripted discussions that promote positive but honest engagement with all the weird and wonderful topics that make our hearts happy. I want to take a moment to express my heartfelt gratitude to all our listeners. Your continuous support and engagement mean the world to us. So if you're enjoying the show, make sure to spread the love. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Strange and Beautiful Network to stay updated on the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes peaks, and exclusive content from all our shows. You can also find additional ways to support this show on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash strange and beautiful network. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to bonus episodes, early releases, our Discord channel, and other exciting perks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.